0: Well, our first week in Advent revolves around the theme of hope, and I'm just guessing here that I can't be the only one in this room who may have lost a little hope during this weekend of Black Friday, or now I guess we now have to call it Black Weekend. Um, you may have heard a, a man died while he was shopping, and shoppers just walked around him and over him. Probably heard about the woman who used pepper spray to gain an upper hand over other shoppers. There was a melee over a $2 waffle maker, and cops had to use pepper spray on shoppers. I really like this one. Two women got in a fistfight at Victoria's Secret over some tights. I guess like that you'd wear at yoga or something. Maybe you heard about the grandfather's face who got smashed into the concrete, broke his face up all over some scuffle over a video game. And then last night, the AP Wire Service, AP News Wire Service, had a headline that says, has Black Friday gone too far? I mean, you think? <laughs> uh, well, contrary to all that, Advent is a season of attentiveness, and it's, it sits in the church year with a really very distinct purpose, and that is to startle us out of any kind of complacency about the coming again of Jesus that we just read about in the Gospels. and our readings this morning, if you think about what we read in Isaiah and if you think about what we read in the Psalm, you get the feeling of what the Proverb said when it said that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so as we walk through this this morning, I want to ask you right now to kind of place before your conscious mind a hope that's deferred for you. I want you to place before your conscious mind some place where hope is maybe not really working well for you. And if you need a hint to do that, typically the background for hope, for a lack of hope, excuse me, is fear or worry or, of course, hopelessness. And that is to say, you, you kind of look around, you take a little inventory of your life and things aren't going particularly well. Maybe there's some uncertainty about how things will turn out for you. That's the time when, of course, we're being asked to hope. I love the way Eugene Peterson gets the angst of this from the Isaiah passage when he has Isaiah saying, in the face of all this, are you going to sit there unmoved? God, are you going to say something? Like, how long are you going to just remain unmoved, oh God, when you see clearer than everybody what's happening in our culture, what's happening maybe in our lives or our families? And against that backdrop is this Advent hope, this trustful expectation of the fulfillment of God's purposes from the first Advent, Jesus' birth, to the second Advent, his coming again. And so what these scriptures seek to stir up in us this morning and what Advent as a season seeks to stir up in us is a belief in a positive outcome, that we don't live in randomness, that there is something going on between this first Advent and this second Advent, and we can have hope in a positive outcome. Hope is the act of looking forward with confidence or expectation. The biblical notion of hope, and you see this all through the Psalms, are things like this. Lord, you're our confidence and our hope. Those who trust and who wait hopefully and look for you will never be put to shame or be disappointed. Or as Isaiah said famously, that you will keep that person in perfect and constant peace, whose mind, which is to say, the human inclination and its character. So let me say again, God will keep in perfect and constant peace those whose mind, that is to say, the bent of their inner being and their character is stayed on you, hoping confidently in you. So in the biblical record, hope is really akin to trust or to faith. For instance, Micah said, But as for me, I will look to the Lord and be confident in him. In him, I will keep watch. I'll wait with hope and expectancy for the God of my salvation. For my God will hear me. Do you hear the hope in that? I mean, whenever you're talking about hope, you're talking about this tension of this kind of basic underlying knowing that there's God who's doing something and we live in his story and yet something that's not going right. And in the middle of that, Micah says, but as for me, I know my God will hear me. So in the Bible, to hope means to trust in the Lord, to commit yourself to Him, to lean on Him, to hope confidently in Him. And then the notion of the Bible is that the one who does that has a blessed soul. And so again, Isaiah says, those who wait for the Lord, those who expect Him, who look for Him, who hope in Him, shall renew their strength. You know the passage, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. Well, then when we come to our reading this morning in Isaiah, when Isaiah addresses God as our Father and then says, we are the work of your hands, this points to the grounds of hope, and that is a rich, interactive relationship with God. So what's happening here is that both the psalmist and Isaiah are looking around at the world as they, they and all their contemporaries knew it. And Isaiah is saying something like this, that Yahweh is utterly distinct, that he's transcendent, that unlike the other gods, he's not subject to or locked into the material universe, and he can't be placated or bought off. You can't manipulate or coerce him. He's transcendent. He stands outside of all that, and that for them, that was the basis, that was the context for their hope because they looked around at all the other tribes and nations and saw them being manipulated and trying to manipulate their gods, And Isaiah says, it's not like that for us. We're in this rich, interactive, personal relationship with God. We're the work of his hands. So you have this transcendent God who can't be manipulated, yet who has made himself come so close to us, producing and this is the potential for producing hope in us, that there's this rich, personal touching from God. And thus, when Isaiah says or the psalmist, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, what they're basically saying is something like this, would you just cut through the smoke of my life? Would you just look at the, the mixed cacophony of things in my life, and would you unleash yourself in it so that you could bring your hands to it? And Isaiah thinks back, you did awesome things when we did not expect, you came down. This, he's thinking here of the giving of the law, of course you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him, who hope in him. This is the sort of tape or memory that's running in the the background of both Isaiah and the psalmist. And so when the psalmist issues basically the same cry, restore us, Let your face shine on us. This is a prayer for presence. God, bring your hands. We are the work of your hands. Bring your hands to us. Let us feel that presence and then deliver us. And when the psalmist asks for God's judgment, God's judgment is like that of a shepherd. God's judgment is is not meant to um, make us necessarily fearful in in the way of, you know, afraid that somebody's going to hit you or something. God's judgment is more like that, the judgment of a shepherd who says, don't walk that way, there's a cliff. I got a rule about this, don't go that way, there's snakes. Um, I have a precept, I have a proverb about this. Don't go that way, there's wolves. Those, Those are God's judgments. The way the psalmist sees them is, again, the sending of his hand to protect us. This is why God wants, or excuse me, Israel wants God to hear them. This is why God, Israel wants God to awaken his might, to come save them, to turn his attention to them. Basically what the psalmist is saying is, God, take a really good look at what's happened and attend to this vine. Care for the, the, this little seed that you once tenderly planted and that you raised from a shoot into a vine. Come look at this. And this is really covenant language. When I was preparing this, this week, I was wishing that our Old Testament scholar, Dennis, could talk a little bit more about what's really going on here in this covenant language because this is really very tender covenant language. It says God started something. He planted this thing and it, and it came into a little shoot and then it grew into a big vine and now they're looking around and it's not looking so good and they say, God, come back. You promised to protect us. But think Isaiah, but we know we've broken covenant and now we're hopeless. And so then they cry out, have mercy, do not give up on us. Give us another chance. So when you think of hope, we we could have put as a subtitle, new beginnings. Because that's really what they're asking for. What they're really saying is, Lord, we know you made covenant with us. We know that we're your special chosen people, but we've completely blown it. But don't give up on us. Have mercy on us. Give us a new beginning. And then when we get to our gospel reading, and you might want to look at that in your order of worship. We really get to the heart of when we think of Advent, when we think of calling on God. I mean, our readings in Isaiah and the Psalms show us how it's been done historically. When we get to Mark, we have this gospel notion of how we live in Advent. Advent being just simply this yearly reminder that Jesus could return at any time. Did did you like catch that? Advent is... Made to put before our conscious minds that at any time after the destruction of the temple in AD 70. So everything we read about in the first part of the gospel this morning, that was all about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And it happened around the year AD 70. And Jesus said that he would come back at some time after that. So literally, any time after that destruction, he could have come back. Now, the actual time, of course, is not known to us and is not supposed to be known to us. And as I look around this room, me and, you know, I don't know, maybe a dozen of us or something, scores of us maybe, you know, grew up in which the most exciting notion was that Jesus could come back at any time. I mean, the unfortunate bit of that is we, I, I, I guess I'll say for everybody, I know I'd say for myself, that what we did inadvertently, though, is we tended to take proof texting and use them kind of like horoscopes. And so, anytime something happened in the European Union or anytime something happened in a Middle East dictator, you know, you sort of reshuffled the cards and a new picture emerged of who the Antichrist is and, you know, setting dates for when God was coming back and all that. And some of you, I'm sure, can, can relate to that. And maybe you own the books. And, uh, you know, now we've got the whole Mayan 2012 year thing going, right? You know, so, you know, what is it, next December... 21st or something, see y'all later, right? Into the world. Uh, Harold Camping just missed it a couple of times. I mean, come on, this has been going on and on and on and on, and it is a great adventure in missing the point. The point is not to turn our sacred text into a horoscope, the point is, as Dennis read, stay awake, stay alert. And so, Advent gives us this time every year. It fits in the rhythm of our calendar to say, yeah, that hope is really rooted in this. Look at your gospel reading. Everything else may pass away, Jesus said. Everything else may look hopeless. Everything else may look like it's coming unhinged. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And what's going on here is that we want to think of the world as stable and permanent and dependable, but actually the world as we know it is unstable. From the nuclear war drills of our youth, I mean, I grew up here right here in Santa Ana, California, you know, with those little desks, you know, that had like an opening in the front and just four metal legs, right? And we used to have these drills. Any of you old enough to remember this? Where we would crawl into our desks. And I think back now... What, like molecules can't, you know, broken atoms can't get under that desk, you know? Or if you grew up here like I did, we also had earthquake drills. So we had two reasons for diving under our desk. So, you know, like one month we do earthquake drills. The next month, you know, nuclear holocaust, you know, drills. And, um, <clears throat> you know, so if you think of that or you think of, I don't know how much you guys read the newspaper, but or if you think of literally, I mean, like literally the whole world teetering on an economic chaos that none of us have ever known or could have ever predicted. Literally, no one would have ever been smart enough to have predicted what happened when, I want you to catch this. This is what I think has actually been happening for a decade or so, is a mutual using of each other, a mutual exploitation of globalism. And no one was ever smart enough, and I doubt anybody ever stopped to ask, What could happen when this goes wrong? And so now you literally have the most brilliant women and men in the world scrambling to try to untie this before literally the whole global economy collapses in a way that we can't even think of. Or you think of our political realities today where we can't even agree on what the color blue is, much less do anything that is a policy remotely resembling something that would help anybody. And so we want to think of the world as stable and all that, but we know it's not. And then that leads to this kind of hopelessness in some of us. But Jesus comes around and he says, all that really is shakeable, And heaven and earth as we know it today is going to pass away and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and it will be rooted in this, my word. Now, when the scriptures talk about word, they mean It's nature, it's character, it's intent. And Jesus says, the nature of my word, the character of it, it's intent, it'll never pass away. That is what you can put your hope in. So, Advent is not merely a religious ritual. The ancient Jews, I mean, put yourself in their shoes. The ancient Jews had to wait for a Messiah. Well, if you think predicting who the Antichrist is tough... Just think of the Middle East, kind of as we know it today, right? Can you just picture kind of the ancient Middle East and wondering where a baby would be born who's the Messiah? I wonder if they had like office pools going, you know, like, you know, I bet Bethlehem in the year, you know, whatever. And it's in the same way they had to wait for this baby to be born who would become their Messiah. We wait in the very same way for Jesus to come again and to make sure that his words and God's intent never pass away. So the practices and rhythms of Advent, they draw us into a time of expectant waiting and preparation, both for Christmas, they do prepare us for that, and it's one of the things I've come to love about Advent, is that it gives this Christmas, you know, it gives, what is it? It gives season's greetings uh, for us who want to pursue it, a holiness to it and the potential to prepare our hearts to worship at Christmas, but also to prepare us for the second coming. But here's the deal. Hoping is not a passive endeavor. It involves almost always painful longing, but alongside of it, a kind of bold allegiance and passionate patience that I do believe in God, I do believe in Jesus, and I do believe that what he said will happen. But sometimes, and maybe this is true of you this morning, we, like Isaiah or the psalmist, can wonder if God is angry at us. And we can feel like he's really not hearing our prayers. And like the psalmist, we can sometimes say, God, would you just break the smoke, the fog, the haze that seems to exist between my little life and you? Sometimes this leads us to wonder is God really faithful? Maybe you're here this morning, and when you think of hope, it's because you have a broken heart, just a bit of a broken heart. And what Advent does is it makes us, it allows us to stop and to ask ourselves, can we open ourselves to possibility? Can we open ourselves to a hope for deliverance? Can we open ourselves to the notion that even those of us who are living with a bit of hopelessness today that God can deliver us, that he can break into our lives. But that requires us to stop with this kind of Advent attentiveness, this notion of staying awake. When Jesus said stay awake, he didn't mean that you would be asleep physically. He meant that you would be asleep in the sense of not being alert or attentive to the things of God around you. And so Advent invites us to this question, can you open your life and soul to an active anticipation to see God move, even if you're feeling a bit of a broken heart and a bit of hopelessness? We turn ourselves towards meditation now. I want to commend this prayer to you. God, may I stay awake to hope, and new possibilities this Advent season. May I be someone who waits for you actively with hope and confident joy. God, may I stay awake to hope and new possibilities this Advent season. May I be someone who waits for you actively with hope and confident joy. Amen.